All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome back in to Season 3, Episode 5 of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. My name's Andrew Drozdek, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend. He just finished practice with the West Canaan Coyotes, then his new offensive coordinator, Johnny Moxon, with his top-secret oop-de-oop five-wide offense. Thomas, how are things going? Uh, things are going great out here in West Canaan. If we can just keep the uh, keep the boys off the sauce and um, and out of the big house on the weekends, we'll be good. Good to go. Good to go. That secret offense is helping you out. <laughs> All right. So we are here to talk for anybody new, uh, break down some football, particularly the South Carolina Gamecocks, talk a little Clemson, and we'll take a glimpse around college football. So starting off with the Gamecocks, Thomas, what is what are your takeaways, your reactions from South Carolina's loss in Fayetteville to the Arkansas Razorbacks? Yeah, this one uh, last week, and I believe I said it on, on the episode, I felt like this Arkansas team would just grind South Carolina down and really pull away late. Um, and that's pretty much exactly what, what we saw happen in that game. I mean, and it, it didn't even seem like it in the moment when I was watching it, but going back and, and looking at the box score and looking at some of the stats from that game, I didn't even realize or think about the fact that Arkansas scored 23 points in the fourth quarter because they, they, were, they were only up, I believe, 21 to 16 going into the fourth quarter. Um but also, as expected, the, the run defense got picked on in a big way, gave up just shy of 300 yards, um, 300 rushing yards, excuse me. Uh, Rocket Sanders, that, that running back for Arkansas, that, that guy's a beast. He, he's a transfer from Bama, right? I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, he's um, he is every bit as advertised. He's a phenomenal running back. Um, another stat that really stood out to me was, was Arkansas rushing for three yards after contact. So that, that – that is a stat that I really look at to measure a defense's ability against stopping the run is how many yards the opposing running backs are getting after contact. They had three yards after contact, which is which is really bad. I saw a lot of bad tackling fundamentals. You and I were texting some during the game. You can't arm tackle somebody like Sanders or, or KJ Jefferson with the beef that they have in that backfield. Um, outside of that, you know, I think you're going to touch on this a little bit, but three turnovers is really hard to overcome regardless of, of how good you are or who you are. Um, I also think that we can't talk about this game without talking about the huge blow to this defense and losing starters, Mo Kaba, Jordan Strawn, season-ending injuries. You hate it for those guys. They were both playing really good football. Strawn was a big key to the front four from that buck hybrid position. So I guess we're going next man up here. That'll be Gilbert Ed Edmund and Sherrod Green, who we've talked a lot about on this show. Um, offensively, just to touch on that, because I know you're going to dive into that a little bit, but things did look a little better. But against a team like Arkansas, they need to be a lot better. Um, still didn't have much of a running game there, which is why, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of fans probably saw us running a lot of five wide and empty sets and and some people would look at that and say, well, the offensive line can't block, so why are you doing that? But the flip side of that is, is 
you know, it, it takes it takes some guys out of the box, so you don't have as many people rushing the pass. You don't have as many guys for that offensive line to account for. It gets your skill guys out in space. But the, another problem that you and I noticed, and we talked about, Rattler has to get better at staying in the pocket and not bailing at the first sign of trouble. The, the O-line definitely had some good moments and at times created some good pockets there for him, but he's still bailing a little early. Finally, one stat that really stood out to me that I, I picked up on the other day was Rattler's passing versus man coverage and versus zone coverage. Against man coverage, Rattler had an 11% completion rate. Against zone coverage, 84% completion. That is that is really good. Um, that's kind of some of the things that jumped out to me. Um, I don't know... I don't really know what to make of that zone versus man coverage. And some of that could have been later in garbage time, but uh, I'm curious to see what your takes are on that. Well, I think, you know, and you shared those stats with me. Um, and I think one of the things I'd say about that is the zone coverage versus man coverage with man coverage. It was probably when he was facing a blitz and you already mentioned that one of the issues there was he was bailing out a lot in the blitz situation and, and doing things and and that's going to lead to he you know as great as he was on the run at times against georgia state in that first week's game he struggled on that rollout type situation this year or excuse me this week against arkansas so i think that plays into it because that was that man coverage was probably when he was facing blitz and you you hit the nail right on the head the offensive line showed um did show improvement and quite honestly i was a little too harsh on him um until i rewatched it actually twice and, you know, ultimately they, they did fairly well um, at times. I mean, there were misses. The biggest problem right now is, is, and I'll talk more about it in a second, is outside pass rush. Um, those edge rushers, be that a stand-up linebacker coming or a on a blitz or a down lineman, we were really struggling with those loose nines and, and that far outside athletic rush, seeing a little bit of trouble there. And the problem is, in my opinion, Spencer has, has lost faith a little bit in his offensive line. I know he wouldn't say that, but it looks that way when he plays. He's bailing out, as you mentioned, way too early. And as offensive line coaches, we like to call that running from ghosts. His peripheral vision is showing him a flash of the other team's color, and he's getting the heck out of Dodge because he doesn't have confidence. Um, it may be completely unconscious, but it is, it is certainly impacting him right now. Now, before I go any further on all that, I do want to point out that we got to give some credit to the Arkansas defensive line and, and, and linebackers. Those linebackers, number 10, Bumper Fool, which may be one of the coolest nickname or names I've ever heard in my life, um, <laughs> and Drew Sanders, they made plays everywhere. They were making plays in the pass game and coverage, in run game, coming up and making tackles, and sacking and rushing the passer. That They were impressive. Um, so as much as I do think the offensive line still has some room for growth for sure, those two guys in particular stood out to me. Um, yep, go ahead. Yeah, and and Drew Drew Sanders, I believe, another Alabama uh, transfer, and and I think particularly after watching that Texas Bama game this weekend, I'm sure Saban would love to have him back at linebacker. Absolutely, totally agree with you there. I mean, they were they were just making plays, and that guy's big. Drew Sanders is like six five, six four, two forty. I mean, he's he can move. That's a stud player right there. Um, you know, the other thing that we don't give a whole lot of thought to, and I'll be honest, I didn't give a whole lot of thought to until I started really thinking about it. Spencer Rattler is coming from an air raid offense um, at, in his two years in Lincoln. 
And the thing about that is the air raid and the way you read defenses or don't read defenses in that system compared to a more pro style that Coach Satterfield wants to run, that's a big change. You know, in, in the air raid, a lot of times you are flat out told throw to the open area and there should be a guy there or we're not even going to read the defense. We're just going to decide where we're going with the ball. And, you know, that's a completely different set of circumstances than what he's used to in uh, this situation now with Satterfield. And the other thing I'll say as far as the run game goes, you know, South Carolina, I heard this today. I was actually at Thomas as I was driving to, to record this on the green light podcast with Chris Long. Chris Long played defensive end in the NFL for many years. Um, great player, um, a Super Bowl champion with the Patriots, Super Bowl champion with the Eagles. Um, his younger brother, I believe it's his younger brother, Kyle Long, was an offensive lineman. And Kyle talked about the sign of a good offensive line, two big signs. Number one, that you can score touchdowns by running the ball inside the three-yard line, something South Carolina has not had a whole lot of success with. And number two, that you can get yards when everybody in the stadium knows you're running the ball. It's third and one, it's third and two, it's fourth and one, it's third and goal. Everybody knows you're going to run it. You got to be able to get those yards. That's where South Carolina, honestly, for several years now has struggled. That's where you got to get better. They talked about yards, 100 yards a game, whatever. They don't care about that as much. Kyle Long said that he didn't care that as much. But you got to be able to run the ball when you have to. And that's where we got to get better as South Carolina. And we'll talk about some creativity there. You mentioned the turnovers, three turnovers, particularly in the fourth quarter. Thomas, you mentioned it was 16 uh, 16-21, 21-16 in the fourth quarter. South Carolina is actually driving the ball and you start mm-hmm. to see things fall apart. Um, you know, Marshawn Lloyd has a, I mean, and that's one of those situations. And he said in his press conference this week that he should have switched arm to the outside arm and maybe he should have. It was a perfect hit. The helmet hit the guy right, hit, hit him right on the ball, pops out. Spencer's trying to press to score a touchdown, has, a, has an interception, can't have that. This is two games in a row where we've had at least one turnover um, from him. In the first game, it was two. Got to cut down on that. That was one of his issues at Oklahoma was turning the ball over. And then you mentioned uh, the third one was Juice Wells, I think, who had a fumble. You can't win, particularly on the road, against a good team like Arkansas in the SEC and have that many turnovers. Can't have that. Well, Thomas, the bad news for the Gamecocks is things don't get any easier this week. The number one, <laughs> definitely not. The number one Georgia Bulldogs are coming to town to play the Gamecocks at Williams Bryce at noon on Saturday. And you know, Georgia. Before we jump into things, Georgia has looked pretty dog dominant. Um, now, granted, they played Oklahoma, uh, Excuse me, they played Oregon, and then they played Samford. So you know, Oregon. What that was a forty-nine-three game, I think. I know they shut out Samford. So I mean. How good are they? We don't know, um, but they look pretty doggone dominant. And considering what they did last year, they they look really good. So I'm going to start off and talk a little bit of South Carolina offense like I've already done. Coming into this game, Thomas, the Gamecocks rushed for 40 yards on 29 attempts against the Arkansas Razorbacks and 79 yards on 32 attempts against the Georgia State Panthers. That is dead last in the SEC. That's <laughs> not going to get it done. <clears throat> Quick side note. Uh, the team that's 13th is U- is Kentucky, which I find very interesting because they are a good team, or at least believed to be a good team. Just a side note there to keep in mind. But and they won't and they won't be 13th very long as soon as Chris Rodriguez comes back. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely, you're exactly right. So, <clears throat> I things I liked was we were more creative. I loved 
and I, we were texting about this on Saturday, Thomas. I loved the use of the screen game. It was the first time I had seen our screen game used well for a number of years. And it's a great way. That's a great way to create a run game like situation when you're not having a lot of success running the ball. I also liked that we saw, and I want to see more of it, the draw play. So for fans who might be slightly below average football fans, what's a draw? Well, a draw is almost the exact opposite of a play-action pass. In play-action pass, you want to convince the defense you're going to run the ball and really you drop back and pass it. It's the exact opposite on a draw play. You want everything to look like you're going to pass it, and at the last second, you stick it in the running back's belly, and he goes and he goes for a run. Pass-happy teams have had a lot of success with this, Thomas. In the 90s, uh, Coach Spurrier, when he was at Florida with his fun and gun, when he had good running backs, particularly Fred Taylor, they killed people with the draw. Because what happens is it's a way to help your offensive line because those guys are getting sucked up, sucked up. The defensive line's coming upfield to rush the passer, and then all of a sudden, guess what happens? We're not He's not passing it. We're going to drop it in there, and it's going to be good. Uh, so I'd like to see that. Let's see. Let's use – we used it with Juju McDowell very effective. I think we got eight or nine yards. I didn't see it a whole lot. There were times when we used draw-like backfield motions and movements between the quarterback and the running back. I want to see it with the offensive line as well, where they are taking what looks like drop back steps to a pass protection, draw, invite those guys upfield, almost like a screen, and then knock them wherever they want to go to create lanes for your running back. I think that would be really, really impressive. So switching to the passing game, South Carolina passed for 376 yards against Arkansas, 277 yards against Georgia State, and are currently third in the SEC in passing. So, Thomas, the reason I point those things out, we talked at the beginning of the year. One of the things that was discussed was that we, as a team, wanted to be a lot like the L.A. Rams. And the L.A. Rams are based off play-action pass. Right now, with the way we're running the ball, we don't have really the what we want to do to run that offense. we got to switch our mentality. I want to be a pass-to-run-the-ball offense. Let's come out passing, make them get ready for the pass, and then we start running the ball. Move those safeties back and start running the ball in those gaps. Which brings up, Thomas, something you brought up, that five-man wide set. Thomas, I think a little bit of that, like you mentioned, was to get our athletes in space, but it was also to open up that box. If they had to cover the whole field horizontally, that makes that middle in between the hashes a little bit more open. And I think the hope was to get some more passing, comfortable uh, moments with Spencer Rattler, and I think at times it worked and at times it didn't. The, the negative impact is when you drop, when you have five guys going into routes, you only have five guys to protect the quarterback. That led to some, some issues, which to me, I got to be honest, Thomas, I want to start seeing backs kept in the backfield to help with the pass rush, particularly checking for edge rushers, be that defensive ends, be that rushing linebackers. You're going to talk a little bit about Georgia's defensive philosophy. They are a multiple, but they are a three-man front base, which, as we all know, in the first game, gave South Carolina trouble against the Georgia State Panthers. So I want to see more keeping backs in. Marshawn Lloyd is big enough to pick up a blitzing linebacker or help on a chip on a defensive end. Um, I think that you could even put Jaheim Bell there on, at times to help with that. Either way, we got to get a bodyguard type feel for Spencer. In the passing game, Thomas, again, I'm not trying to step on your defensive breakdown. Co-defensive coordinator for Georgia is somebody that all South Carolina fans are familiar with, or they should be, Will Muschamp. What used <laughs> to drive 
us as Gamecock fans crazy about our defense under Coach Muschamp, in my opinion, or at least drove me crazy, was the intermediate routes outside of the hashes. We seem to always be weak there. So if I'm if I'm Marcus Satterfield, that's where I'm starting. I'm using some post-out route combinations, some curl-out route combinations to get my get that DB on the outside of the hash in a bind. He either drops with the long route or he stays under. And either way, we should have a soft area to throw that ball, particularly on a curl. If you're running cover two, if you're running even cover three, that should be an open area. We got to make that in again in a situation, Thomas, where you've got a, a, a man coverage situation. We showed that we want to throw the ball vertically. So use that tendency of that we've been showing against the defense Press that hard vertical for eight, nine yards, and then put your foot in the ground and come back to the ball. The biggest thing about that is, Thomas, is those passes have to come out on time and they have to come out accurate or they're going to end up interceptions. So ultimately, we've got to make some adjustments in in the pass protection game. I thought the interior played better. Our offensive tackles are doing okay, but they need some help on the edge against these more athletic rushers, be that a linebacker or a defensive end. On the tail of the tape, Thomas, we are Carolina comes in at six foot four and a half, 306 and a half pounds. Georgia's defensive line, which is three guys essentially, comes in a little smaller than that, six foot four, 292. But as I mentioned, and as I'm sure you're going to get into, Thomas, they're a multiple front team. You don't always see three down linemen against Georgia. Thomas, talk us through that. Yeah, you're right, and that's a, a great segue. That that defensive line being a, a little bit undersized for Georgia is it's it's really not undersized when you look at the scheme that they run with primarily a three man front, a lot of some three four, but some three three five as well gives them an, a, a lot of a lot of options on the back end, particularly. Um, and this defense, like previous Kirby Smart defenses at Georgia for the past X number of years, is dominant. They are ridiculously good. I think a lot of people. We're kind of selling this defense short after the the massive amount of talent that they lost to the NFL after last year. <clears throat> but I think we've seen that this defense, or maybe even this entire Georgia program now, they do not rebuild, they reload. Kirby has that thing clicking. Um, and this year is no difference. Um, through two games, have not given up a single touchdown. They're the only FBS team to not allow a touchdown this season. They've only given up three points. That was a field goal that Oregon, <clears throat> excuse me, that Oregon scored on them, allowing 220 total yards of offense per game. That is very, very good defense. Um, <clears throat> up front, honestly, I, I, I don't even really think that there's a whole lot to talk about up front because their their front guys just small people. They're they're quicker. They're very athletic. They do like to run that nose tackle head up on the center. You've talked before as an offensive lineman how how difficult that is as a center to have a guy head up on you. But then they'll also move him around, move him to A gaps, B gaps, move him around, whatever they need to do there. Um, <clears throat> the back end is what I really want to talk about on this Georgia defense, which is um, last year South Carolina had a little bit of success airing it out against this secondary um, and I think the secondary is even better this year. Um, I think that they will look at likely it's let me back up a minute. So it, it's, it's pretty obvious through the first couple games here that Wells juice Wells is probably one of South Carolina's top receivers right there. Right. Absolutely. You know, I, 
at, at, at last year, it was Josh Van, 100%. Honestly, it seems like Josh Van's not even on the team anymore. I don't even know how many touches, if any, he has on the season. Yeah. So, Juice Wells is your main guy there. I look at Georgia to bracket Wells. We've talked in previous seasons about bracket coverage. As a, as a brief refresher here, <clears throat> bracket coverage is double coverage, essentially. If you really want to break it down in its most basic sense, it is double coverage. We saw teams bracket Josh Van a lot last year because he was really the only receiving threat, so they were able to bracket him. When you talk about bracket coverage, there's, there's really two – two different sets of bracket coverage. You've got under over, which is a vertical bracket, and then in out, which is a horizontal bracket. <clears throat> so breaking that down a little bit further, under over, the vertical bracket, that gives you the ability to stay underneath the route, but then you've got help on the back end, so you're not going to get beat, be, get beat deep, as he tries to say, right? Yep, nailed it. On, on the flip side of that, in out, are the horizontal bracket, it still allows for that over-the-top coverage depending on the break of the wide receiver. If he breaks in, that out defender is just going to roll back to the top and cover the back end and vice versa. If he breaks out, then the ends will cover the back end. So I think you'll see some bracket coverage on Wells. Of course, that is going to give some more opportunities to some other wide receivers on the field. South Carolina has to take advantage of that. Another thing that I've seen Georgia do a lot this year, and this is another <clears throat> staple of Kirby Smart defenses because this is how Saban runs his. We all know that 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 Kirby Smart is from the Nick Saban coaching tree, is, uh, is match coverage. Georgia ran a lot of match coverage against Oregon, and it confused the hell out of Bo Nix. It was just gave him fits. And so when we talk about match coverage, we're looking at pattern matching. And that can be zone coverage that looks like man, or it can be man coverage that looks like zone. And essentially, in a zone match coverage, you've got guys that are dropping to their zone where it looks like zone. But anytime somebody comes into their zone, they're running man coverage. And then they'll dump them off to somebody else. You can have man match where it's it's really a set of rules where you're saying, all right, I've got this man if he's running an out coverage or a deep route. I'm man on him the whole way. If he does anything else, I'm passing him off to somebody else. <clears throat> I say all that to say that this this can be a huge problem for defenses that are predicated on having man beaters on one side and zone beaters on the other. You've talked about this before. It makes it easier for quarterbacks if you've got routes on the left side that are designed to beat the zone coverage, routes on the right side that are designed to beat man coverage. <clears throat> now, I don't know – that we call our offense this way. I don't know if Marcus Satterfield does that. That could spell a lot of trouble there. Another another thing that is beneficial for the defense in this pattern matching coverage, it allows the defense to roll a safety down into the box. You get an extra man in the box for run support, but you're still able to adequately defend the verticals or the deep routes down the field. Whereas if you're just running cover three or cover one, you're going to stress that safety and he's got to make a choice and you're going to leave one of those vertical routes wide open. It's really kind of the the, the best of all worlds. I, I think um, obviously Saban kind of pioneered a lot of this stuff whenever he was in the NFL as a coordinator working with Belichick. And um, it's, it's really become a staple of Alabama's defense that is now, of course, Kirby has brought it over to Georgia. And you'll see a lot of that too. So if you see... If you see a, a lot of, uh, if you if you see a, a really 
bad interception. If Rattler throws a really bad interception where it's like, where, where are you throwing that ball? How did you not see that guy? Then it's probably a situation of pattern matching. And he was looking at the wrong side. He thought they were running zone over here. They're actually running man. And they could just spell a lot of trouble. So I really think that, I mean, this Georgia defense is is brutal. They rotate a ton of guys on the front. They keep those guys fresh. It's going to be a long day for the South Carolina offense, and they're going to have to be very creative. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that, and I think uh, you're exactly right in the fact that they have a very good secondary, um, and, and you hit the nail on the head with that difficulty there of that match zone or matchup type coverage. I don't think Satterfield calls it where it's zone beater to one side, uh, you know, man beater to the other. It's, it's a little bit more full full read, full field read progression. I will say, Thomas, though, I got to think, because Arkansas sort of did this too, they kept safeties back all day and, and really said, beat us with the run, beat us with the underneath pass. And there were times we got some good underneath passing going, and then there were times we had good screens but unfortunately, things would happen. You know, really, those first two drives in Fayetteville should have ended in points. South, mm-hmm. Car- South Carolina had a bad hands to the illegal hands to the face call go against them on a, a third and lo- a third and manageable that would have been at least I think three points there that backed them up out of field goal range. And then they ended up um, having issues on that second drive as well, where I think they ended up with a field goal there instead of a touchdown when one of those linebackers I mentioned made. A huge play to stop us there. We ended up having to go for a field goal. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Um, So Georgia's offense, Todd Munkin. Is it Munkin? That's how I say that? Yep, you're on it. I thought so. Third year at Georgia, has an extensive background, um, has, you know, really got a system that's working well there. Stinson Bennett is returning as quarterback after leading them to a national championship last year. I read an article talking about how this spring and summer was probably the first spring and summer of his career at Georgia where he was the, the starter the whole time. He was not, you know, there was no debate on if he was the guy. So that, you know, that really helped his confidence, really helped his timing with his teammates. He's smart. He's mobile enough. He's not a guy who's going to, you know, he's not Mike Vick. He's not K.J. Jefferson and the fact that he's a tank that's going to run you over, but he can break contain and he can avoid the rush and he can get you have that frustrating moment, Thomas, where he, you know, you got it in third and seven. You feel like you got him dead to rights and he ends up getting squirting out of there for eight yards and getting a first down. Um he is one, you know, kind of knock, I guess, if you will, against him. He's, he's a shorter guy. Uh, he's probably about 5'11", uh, which may be a little bit generous, and he's about 195-ish pounds listed, which also may be a little bit generous. So that leads to some difficulty seeing over the center, over the middle there. So that can be something for South Carolina to try and play with. George, uh, Georgia's got definitely the best group of tight ends in the country. Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington lead the way there. Uh, Monken does a whole lot of things to try and get him, uh, get those two guys on the field at the same time. Uh, He'll put one out wide. He'll put one in wing. He'll put them beside each other. So it is a mismatch. They are athletic. They are big and they are fast. So that is something that South Carolina, especially with the injuries they've suffered here uh, this past week, are really going to have to struggle with uh, on that defense. And I'll let you get into that. One of the things he likes to use is a lot of pre-snap motions and a lot of pre-snap shifts. A a motion is where one guy might go in motion. He may go from the left side of the field to the right. A shift is where it feels like the entire skill set, the wide receivers, the tight ends, the running backs, 
they all kind of move around. And that can really be hard to get your defense set and know your responsibilities. In the run game, James Cook and Zamir White have gone on to the NFL, but Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Melton are your two main backs now. Uh, but they do have a running back by committee, Thomas, very much so. They're going to have fresh legs in there at all times because I think I saw seven, eight guys against Oregon get touches. Like they, They're going to do a lot. They want to get creative at times, and they're going to give you an orbit motion. So that's where the uh, the wide receiver is going to come around on the back end, around behind the running back, and it looks like they're going to run back, and they kind of run a counter-reverse thing with that wide receiver. It's really impressive. Uh at uh, wide receiver, speaking of which, they are having to replace Jermaine Burton and George Pickens, two dynamic wide receivers from last year. So there are some skilled players that they're having to replace, particularly at wide receiver and running back. That's you know you might think, hey, they they you know may struggle a little bit, but as you mentioned, Thomas, we're at that reload section for Georgia now, not rebuild. So they they got plenty of guys in the wings. Finally, they are replacing two offensive linemen on last year's offensive line. But again, that offensive line has looked impressive in these two games. It's mostly a balanced offense. Um, they will, at, at times in the past, lean more on the run game. But early on, they've thrown the ball a lot more uh, against Oregon, at least, than they did uh, in the past. We'll see how that works. They like to use a lot of short and horizontal passes to bring you up before they throw you over the top. They, they are more about that. You, you mentioned Yak, Thomas, in this situation, Yak meaning yard after the catch. They want to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers in space and let them run with the ball. Thomas, how's South Carolina defense going to try and stop this? <laughs> well, I don't, uh, I, I don't even know if I have enough brains in my head or, or time in the day to, to really talk about that. But one of the things uh, you mentioned here, is about them being balanced, and you're right; they are a balanced offense. But this this year, at least through two games, it's a little different. They're they're statistically and looking at yardage wise, their 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 running game hasn't really gotten going because they really haven't had to use it that much. Currently, UGA has the second best passing offense in the country. They're averaging almost 400 yards a game, just shy of Texas Tech, who was in first place. Which I feel like Texas Tech is always leading leading the statistical categories in, in yards passing per game. Um, and even with the running game, too. In fact, I think I saw their leading receiver right now is McIntosh, that running back you were talking about. They, they like to get him out in space. He's got some wiggle to him, as they like to say. He can get open, wheel him out, run him on those running back wheel routes that we saw Rocket Sanders crush us with a few times last week. Um, but this is – it's, it's so disheartening to think about the the key injury losses from last week because of, of all the games on this schedule going into, you need your Mokabas and you need your Jordan Strons. <clears throat> and it even looks like Cam Smith, you know, one of the top nickel corners in the country for South Carolina is, is questionable for this game too. I, I honestly, I don't, I don't know if you did. I never even saw Cam get, get hurt last week. Was it a concussion? I never saw an injury. So when I went back and watched, it looked like he did maybe land on his head, uh, like on an out route type situation where he and the guy were kind of jumping for position and he, his body carried over and he landed on his helmet a little bit out of bounds. That's the okay. best guess I have. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, <clears throat> thankfully, it, it, it sounds like, you know, if he's out, it, it will be this week and, and he'll be back. But, you know, it's uh, I really I could see Georgia really picking on some of that secondary, some of the inexperience back there with Cam Smith out. They're going to be going after Marcellus Dial. They're going to be going after Nick Emanwari. Need big games for those guys. You mentioned earlier how Munkin likes to use a lot of window dressing, as we call it, motions and shifts. This game is key for the South Carolina defense to have very good eye discipline. We talked about that last week against Arkansas, and I did see – a lot of times last week, South Carolina defense had very good eye discipline. There, mm-hmm. there was a reverse, some end rounds. They played it very well. You need to see more of that out of South Carolina this week. Also, and this is crazy, do not blitz Stetson Bennett. Through two games, Stetson Bennett is 18 for 18, averaging almost 12 yards a pass whenever he's getting blitz, which is a very, very good stat for a quarterback. So I don't think you can blitz him. Uh, particularly if you're going to leave guys on an island on the back end, that's really going to spell trouble. Finally, I will say that <clears throat> although Georgia really hasn't gotten the running game going yet, I think they're only averaging 100 and change rushing yards a game. Who boy, if Georgia fans want to see the rushing game get going, this is the game for it to happen against this South Carolina defense. I think it could be, it could be ugly, and honestly, I think – that this game may not be as high scoring as a lot of people would think because I think they're going to get that running game going and it's just going to eat a whole lot of clock and they're just going to churn them out. Yeah, I mean, you, watching what happened in the South Carolina-Arkansas game, you, you have to expect Georgia's going to put a premium on running the ball. Um, you know, I think I saw, Thomas, you mentioned how South Carolina almost gave up uh, you know, 300 yards rushing against the Hogs, but I saw it was like 63 rushing attempts. Now, that doesn't take away from the fact that that's a whole lot of rushing yards. So I, I would expect, I don't think that it'll be that in balance, but I would expect to see a lot of runs from the Bulldogs. Uh, kind of some final takes here. Speaking to the offense, South Carolina's going to have to perform at its highest level all season. There is no doubt about that. That means no turnovers. That means very, very limited drop balls going to have to continue to get creative and use the screen game to help the run, add in more of the draw to help the run. I really feel like they're going to have to utilize that intermediate pass game, especially outside of the hash marks, and keep an extra blocker in uh, a back or a tight end to help with that. Got to have Rattlers uh, feel comfortable, settle in, and then do hit those, try to hit those vertical passes that we tried against Arkansas and Thomas we got to hit on those we missed uh pretty much all of them I guess all of them really except for a deep cross route there to Juice Wells that was a really nice play where he scored but at the end of the day got to hit more of those if you're going to throw them I love throwing them but you got to hit them had a couple that were just out of reach barely they got to got to con- connect on those to have a chance against the Bulldogs uh Thomas I mean you kind of mentioned it could get ugly I'm afraid I feel sort of the same way you know, do you have any other final takes on this game coming into Columbia? Yeah, I, th- I think South Carolina really needs to focus on offensively is is getting horizontal. You know, nor- normally you want to go north south and get down the field, but but South Carolina really needs to try to tire this defense out, run them sideline to sideline, get them on their heels back and forth, um, and and that's that's I think one of the keys to this offense getting going. But otherwise, like you said, is is Get those check down routes, get those underneath the routes, use it as an extension of your run game and just try to eat up some yards and honestly just keep the ball away from Georgia's offense. Yeah. 
Absolutely. All right, switching gears quickly, very quickly, uh, to the Clemson Tigers. They played Furman this past weekend, uh, took care of business. DJ looked okay, threw two touchdowns, did toss a pick. Uh, the bigger news was that Klubnik came in and didn't look as smooth as he did against the Georgia Yellow Jackets. <laughs> Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets went one for four and uh, didn't just didn't look as nearly as comfortable. They got another, I'm sorry, Law Tech fans, another uh, tune-up game this week against the uh, Louisiana Tech Bulldogs. I believe that they're the Bulldogs, right, Thomas? Probably. Yeah, sure. Sounds right. Um, <laughs> and we'll go with that. But then they do play Wake, and they do play NC State after that. So business does pick up a little bit. Still, this offense is very much a work in progress. Have to continue to think that they want to see more progress than they did. Thomas, I know neither one of us spent a whole lot of time on this Furman game this weekend, or excuse me, South or Clemson versus Furman game. What are your thoughts at all on Clemson's defense? Yeah, you know, and, and be completely honest, I, I didn't see a single play of this game. Um, and looking at the box score, I saw some interesting things that jumped out to me. Furman had 384 yards of total offense, averaged 3.7 yards per rush. That is really good for anybody against a Clemson defense. Um, Clemson only registered two sacks. I did see as I dug a little bit deeper, I think Furman really concentrated on a lot of quick passes. I think 25 of their 31 completions were within five yards at the line of scrimmage. But regardless, when you churn out almost 400 yards of offense against a Clemson defense, if you're a Clemson fan, that's really got to leave you scratching your head when you've got Wake and NC State coming up. Yeah, they, they, they have got to be looking for a much better performance this week out of both sides of the ball. All right, let's take a couple of minutes to look around college football. Thomas, I, literally, I don't know how else to say this because there were so many upsets. Who's good at this point? Like, who, who is a good football <sighs> team? I mean, I think Georgia is, unfortunately, for the yeah. Gamecocks. I think, Ohio, yeah. I think Ohio State is. Um, I think Bama maybe is. I, I, I don't. I don't know if I'm sold on Bama this year, particularly after the the Texas game this weekend. I mean, they've obviously got a ton of weapons, but th- this is not this is not the the Bama defense and the Bama secondary that that we're used to. I totally agree with you there, um, and especially considering Texas's quarterback went down. He got injured. Um, you know that that's yeah. I was surprised by how they played. Yeah, and and honestly, like if you if you told me right now, force me to say who's going to be playing in Atlanta in the SEC championship, I would say Georgia versus Arkansas. I don't even think I, I think at this point Alabama will not win the West, but we'll see what happens. It's still very early. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing I know for sure: I would not have wanted to be a player uh, on the practice like practicing with Alabama this week because I can only imagine <laughs> what Nick Saban did to those boys this week in practice. Um, oh yeah. So then we'll switch gears to the teams that were quote unquote supposed to be good. Texas A&M with their massive NIL deals loses to App State. Love it. Love Notre, it. Notre Dame, the great Notre Dame Fighting Irish lose to Marshall at <coughs> home. And also Texas A&M was at home. Baylor loses. They were in the top 10 to BYU. I mean, holy cow. Thomas, what's the issue with these teams? Well, I'll, I'll say first and foremost with A&M, Jimbo Fisher is the problem. I think Fisher is a fraud. Fisher's offense 
scored a, a mere 14 points on App State. Now, this is the same App State that gave up 63 points to uh, marginal North Carolina last week. And Jimbo, who's a supposed quarterback guru, A&M ranked 99th nationally in passing yards per attempt last year. And versus App this past week, Haynes King was 13 of 20 for, for 97 yards. Mm. You know, Jimbo's been taking a lot of heat this week, and I think a lot of it is warranted. Local radio host here recently, I heard earlier today said that, you know, there's a lot of evidence that that Jimbo is a is a solid head coach, a, a, a very a, a good, solid head coach, but he's being paid and treated like he is an elite head coach, and he is not elite. His offense is stuck in 2013 but he doesn't have Jameis Winston. That's right. Uh, you're seeing what it looks like when you don't have a generational college quarterback. Jameis has not been a generational NFL quarterback, did get a win with the Saints this past weekend in the NFL. But, you know, uh, it's it's easier. I mean, again, <laughs> I hate to, to constantly throw shade at him, but think about uh, good old Whammy Ward. You know, when he had <laughs> – when he had JD Clowney and the rest, he looked like a pretty good coordinator. And then all of a sudden, not so much. Yeah, you look at and, and you look at Fisher compared to uh, Kevin Sumlin when he was at AM. That's right. Through through their first fifty games at AM, Kevin Sumlin was thirty six and fourteen. Jimbo Fisher through his first fifty games at AM is thirty five and fifteen and they're paying him hundred million dollars. It's insane. Yeah. I, if I was an AM fan, I would be livid. So here's the thing for AM. They play Miami this week. That, that's yep. and I think they're in are they in Miami? Um maybe in Miami. But but I also after after that upset last weekend is I'm like, why do people keep scheduling App State? And then I looked at South Carolina schedule and I think we've got App in what, twenty twenty three or twenty four? I don't want to play them. It's time for them to come up to uh you know, to, to, to power five at this point, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. They actually, it is Miami comes to college station, but still app state just came into college station and beat them. So no reason to think Miami hurricanes can't do this. Notre Dame, uh, you know, things go from bad to worse. Their starting quarterback is injured and out for the season. Uh, just, you know, I, I see here, Thomas, in our notes, you've got Notre Dame had no business being ranked in the top 10. And I, I kind of agree with you. Yeah, and I, I think that was just, you know, it was a, it was a holdover from last year. A lot of talent coming back. Marcus Freeman, he's just gonna keep things going the way that Kelly did. But, but you know, you've got to take into effect, take into account that that human factor that this is his first head coaching gig at a massive school with some of the most deep rooted college football traditions. Like, that's 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 some big shoes to fill. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's going to be a tough, tough year here for for that team, I think. So, Thomas, it's a weird week in college football this week. Um, I think game day is in Boone, North Carolina, to watch yep. uh, App State play Troy, uh, the Troy Trojans. Um, and then my father-in-law told me that Ohio State, he's a big Ohio State fan, um, got optioned to the primetime game on Fox at 730, and they're playing Tulsa. So there's not not be a whole lot of big action this weekend. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a seeds and stems weekend, as we like to call it. Um, you know, looking just kind of browsing around here. There's really not a whole lot of games that I'm super excited about. I'm interested to see what's going to happen in this Penn State at Auburn game. That's in the 3:30 slot on CBS. Um, 
you know, there's just there's we're kind of at that point in the season after you get through the first two weeks where most teams have a have a tune up game or two before they really get into the thick of conference play. So, so yeah, there's some there's some duds this weekend, but hopefully, you never know. Sometimes we've got those seeds and stems weekends with a lot of fireworks. So we'll see what happens. That's true. All right. Well, you know, the Gamecocks are going to need a heck of a, a showing against the Bulldogs to, to have a chance there. Clemson's tuning up against La Tech, and we'll have some interesting games to take a look at, maybe see some upsets again this weekend. Thomas, as we head out the door, I want to remind everybody that we are on social media. You can find us at, at SAA Football Fan, at SAA Football Fan on Twitter and Instagram. Check us out, um, shoot us a question or any kind of ideas you may have that you want to hear about on the show. Thomas, as we head out the door, tell the people anything you want. Yeah, I'd like to tell tell the people, particularly those that are that are in the 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 sweltering south. This morning was a little bit of a crisp breeze in the air. It's starting to feel like fall. Let's take advantage of it. Enjoy this weather. It's finally starting to feel like football at least. Absolutely. Everybody have a good week. Enjoy your time. It's football, even if it's not the best football. Thomas, see you later, bud. See you.